Welcome to the Hustle Up podcast, the podcast that shares the unique stories of startups, side hustles, and the self-employed. I'm your host, Josh Burrell. In today's episode, I'm joined by Matthew Grosset, the owner of Walnuts and Honey, a micro bakery based in South London. Matthew specialises in exotic flavour combos and luxury bakes, including eye-catching buttercream cupcakes, which I'm a huge fan of. Welcome, Matthew. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you much. How are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Thanks for joining me today. No worries. Thank you for having me. I know that you're recovering from COVID, so yeah. um, you don't usually sound... <laughs> uh... <laughs> I sound a bit rusty right now. Yeah. Hopefully it didn't ruin your Christmas too much. Not too much. I still got to be with my wife and my and my daughter, but yeah, it was... Obviously, I was looking forward to being with my extended family as well, but it is what it is, and like, luckily, it's not too detrimental uh, to us. It's not the end of the world, but at the same time, it's a bit disappointing. But life goes on, luckily. So taking it back to the beginning, how was life for you growing up? What was your family makeup? Where did you live? Yeah. What were your interests? Were you into baking? Were you quite entrepreneurial? So, like, both my parents have both always been um, self-employed. So my dad's a business consultant. Uh, his business essentially basically was um, like to help other businesses win contracts, um, like uh, through, uh, through government contracts. Uh, so he was a consultant in that kind of way. And my mum's an educational consultant. She used to be a lecturer. And so now she basically does that. She basically uh, specializes in helping schools figure out what they're going to do about expulsions. Uh, she sits on the expulsion board for uh, for Croydon and actually for Bromley as well, I think. And she also helps people get their children into whatever schools or higher education they need to get into. So she does that. So basically cool. both my parents growing up had always had their own businesses. Um, I remember when I went to uni thinking to myself, like, oh, what am I going to do? And I never really, it didn't occur to me that I'd actually ever have to have a proper job. Like I'd have to work for someone. So I just, I knew I'd want to run a business of some kind, but I never really thought about what what I would do. But that's just because both my parents has always done that. So I thought, okay, well, I'll run a business of some kind, but I'll just figure out what it is I want to do at that point. Baking was not on the top of my list at all. I like sweets. I've always liked sweets and biscuits and stuff. I've got one older brother and two younger sisters. Okay. Uh, my older brother is not interested in sweets in the slightest. And uh, <laughs> when my parents were saying that when I came along, they basically had to move the, the biscuit cupboard from being on the lower shelf to being on the up shelf. And then they moved the biscuit cupboard from being on the upper shelf to being in a locked cupboard because I could get in there. And then they had to start hiding <laughs> the key. So, yeah, like sweets and, that, and like those kind of like sweet treats has always been something I'm interested in. But I've never really been, I was never really interested in baking in the first instance. It was more after after uni, I had a bit more of a, an interest in that kind of stuff. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, I've got a bit of a sweet tooth myself. Where did you go to school then? Uh, so I don't know if uh, your listeners or yourself know know the area well, but there's a um, a boys' school around the corner from here called uh, Trinity. So yeah. I went to Trinity Boys um, for my secondary school. I grew up in Crystal Palace, so it's all fairly local. I went there for secondary, and then for uni, I went to De Montfort uh, in Bedford, and I didn't actually realize that Bedford was. I didn't know what Bedford was. Yeah. <laughs> I'd never even heard of Bedford. Essentially, uh, uh, yeah, De Montfort has or had two campuses. One was okay. in Leicester and one was in Bedford. And the course I was doing, criminology, was in the Bedford campus. And I assumed that in the same way that I know you could say Crystal Palace is part of London, I thought that Bedford was part of Leicester. So I told everyone I was going to Leicester. <laughs> uh, and, I, and it didn't really occur to me. It's like about maybe a week or two weeks beforehand, uh, before actually starting uni. Because luckily I got accepted uh, without actually having to do any interview or anything like that. So I was like, oh, great, I'm okay. going to uni. So I'm not really going to think anything of it. 
And so me and my sister were like, oh, you know, it's got, I've got like two or three weeks to go. Let's, let me go visit Bedford and see what it's like. It's, it's, it, <laughs> it wasn't too far to get there from East Croydon on the train. So I was like, okay, yeah. Leicester's, Leicester's not too far. This isn't, this isn't too bad. Obviously getting there and realizing that Bedford and Leicester are not the same thing. Oh dear. And yeah, I don't know if I was disappointed. I had a really good uni life to be honest. It was really fun. Nice. Um, but I remember my sister saying to me, you do know this isn't Leicester. And I was like, Yes, but mum doesn't need to know that. So we're, going to, <laughs> we're just going to carry on. Yeah, Cool. Um, what made you want to study criminology? Were you into the criminal side of things? Was it an interest? Absolutely. I mean, like that was a, that was that was what my I thought my career path was going to be. Well, essentially, I went to criminal psychology. Okay. That's like forensic psychology. And I thought, well, let me have some kind of like a background in it at least because I don't know anything about uh, criminology. I don't know anything about uh, forensics. I don't know anything about psychology either. And the real thing that was like the nail in the coffin as to why I didn't go down that path is that after I finished doing criminology, so I was going to do my master's in forensic psychology, but it turns out that if you haven't got any background in psychology at all, you'd have to do a conversion course first and then do your master's. And at that point, I thought to myself, do I like, am I in love with this enough that I can spend another two years doing the conversion course and then another year after that doing the master's when I've got no experience in, in, in psychology at all. I might start it and realize that psychology is just not for me at all. And at that point, I'd already been at uni for three years. Um, and I thought, no, I'm not. I don't, I don't think I love this enough to carry on doing Yeah, it. you want to make sure it's your passion, don't you? So, yeah, after doing three years, I'm like, mm, no, I'm okay, thank you. And so I had to figure out something else to do. Yeah. <laughs> so what was, your, what was your next path after university? What did you go into next? Did you have to go job hunting? So I probably should have gone job hunting, but I guess that wouldn't, wouldn't have like landed me where I am now. Uh, what I ended up doing actually was um, in the town of Bedford, they just had quite a big college in the middle of town and they just like rebuilt or possibly just built for the first time, like a food wing. Um, okay. And so like uh, the, it was completely new state of the art food wing. And then underneath it, they built a, I think like a hair and beauty wing as well. So basically those are two uh, new classes. They'd like just, built and put onto the college and while all my friends were going off to I know, do more studying or like going some of them becoming teachers obviously with the PGCE um some of them were just like going traveling I was like I have nothing to do I literally <laughs> I don't I don't have a job I don't have anything else to do and I know that if I just take a year out I won't do anything I know what I'm like I'm quite I'm, I'm very happy doing nothing especially if I get into the swing of doing nothing I can happily sit there and do nothing but I know that at this point, it's like, I've just finished uni. I can't just do nothing. I, I need to do something, even if it's doing a job I don't particularly want to do, just to have something to do, I'd, I'd, want, I'd want to do it. So I ended up um, enrolling in the course, uh, the, the food courses there. And in the, it was only a year course, so I thought, well, this okay. will give me time to figure out what I'm going to do with myself. It's uh, Whether or not I go into anything to do with food, um, this gives me a bit of time to be like, okay, well, what am I going to do after this year is done? Uh, once I get to eat all these nice cakes. <laughs> uh, so yeah, the first term, they basically taught us like um, butchery and like uh, and like certain like vegetables and how to do bread and how to do like uh, sugar decorations and like um, fishmongery and that kind of stuff. And in the second and third term, they said, um, well, we've taught you all the basics, basically. What we're going to do now is like you guys have to choose like three or four different modules and that's what you're going to specialize in for the next couple of weeks until the end of, end of, uh, end of the course. And at the time, I was like, well, at some point, I'm going to cook for myself uh, I'll have to figure out how to like kind of do beef and meat and like uh, and fish and all that kind of stuff. I'll, I'll figure that stuff out whilst I'm cooking, and I I know how to I know how to cook for myself anyway. Okay. I don't think I'd ever thought about doing the more technical aspects of cook of food, so like baking, working with sugar, doing like the finer stuff with uh, with cakes and pastry, and working with fats and that kind of stuff. So for my uh, my final modules, I chose sugar decoration. 
okay. uh, bread making and pastry. And I was like, oh, you know, what? I'm not going to do anything with these, but it's uh, it's, it's fun. Let's, let's give it a go. I'm never going to get a chance to do this again. So I did it. I ended up really loving it. And uh, yeah, that was it. When the course was over, I retained that knowledge and it's just carried me through until kind of now. There was like a, well, when the college finished, I came back to London. I didn't immediately obviously go into the uh, going into running my business. Um, when I came back, I realized that the course I'd done was, it wasn't particularly vocational. So basically it was very, what's the best way of saying this? Wishy-washy, I think, is, uh, is how, <laughs> is how, uh, is how uh, HR, HR people would probably see my, my degree. But the thing that criminology, it was criminology and sociology. The thing that I would say that course uh, gave me was critical thinking yeah and also the ability to conflict with conflict resolution with like a bit more of a worldly view um okay. so that kind of stuff can also be translated into basically any kind of role uh so i ended up start uh, working at oh be at not be at one all bar one for about two months oh, yeah. and then uh, i had a recruiter uh, managed to get me into an admin role for the Department of Health, nice. a six or seven month contract. Essentially, we were working with a um, an inquiry, which was uh, it's called the Mid Staffordshire Inquiry. Essentially, there's a whole bunch of people dying in uh, Mid Staffordshire in a hospital trust, and it just suddenly went from like being a really good hospital trust to suddenly being like, oh my god, everyone's dead. And it was like, what what's going on here? How's that happened? It turned out it was basically a lot of um, administrational error. So people had been dying at a normal rate. But basically, no one had been like filing away all the papers. So it's like suddenly, someone decided to file all oh, the papers dear. about all the death rates, and it's like, oh, we've gone from no death rates in the whole of January to suddenly everyone has died the whole next week. So yeah, it was a uh, that was interesting. So I did that for a couple of months, and then once that all finished, I then had the same recruiter said, well, that was quite good. You managed to do quite well in that, and they put me forward for another government role, which was working for. At the time, I didn't know who they were, but they just said the Department of Transport. I was like, okay, fine, great. And it turned out to be HS2. I would probably say I was probably the bulk, uh, the bulkiest part of my uh, of my professional development and career. I think I did it for eight or nine years. Okay, uh, what were you I doing started, then? So I started off doing just answering their phones. So this is actually when the project first started. Uh, I answered their phones and answered them um, all the questions that the public had for about maybe maybe about two months. And then at that stage, there wasn't really any kind of online presence for the company because it was still just a, a, a potential project. It wasn't, it hadn't actually got all the funding, hadn't got any of the, um, of the approvals. And the guy who was running, who had made their quite rudimentary, um, almost blog, to be honest, it wasn't really a website. It was more like a, just a small, like, Tumblr blog. Yeah. Uh, bear in mind that this is for like a big government infrastructure thing and the, <laughs> the, whole, the whole project has a Tumblr blog. Um, and he went back to Australia and no one else could uh, do the website apart from me, who essentially not because I had any massive training in it, just because of being someone who's grown up with with the internet and seeing how, how, how it works, like from it becoming popular. Yeah, you're a bit tech savvy, so they just turn to you. There, so it's like, is anyone young here? Can we? Can anyone young reach the people on, on this online internet? And so I ended up doing it and I ended up teaching myself how to code. Um, I ended up teaching myself how to do a few, um, I put myself um, on a few courses for project management, uh, put myself on a few courses, well, through the company, uh, uh, a few courses on digital project management. And um, yeah, I ended up being their digital communications manager for about eight years. It was, okay. it was a good one. Um, I was in charge of how they spoke to people online, which looking back now is quite a thankless task <laughs> <laughs> but i was also in charge of how basically um we communicated uh, people online how we 
put any messages across what kind of like visualizations we do um yeah it was all me and then i left in 2000 and i want to say 2017 but it could have been maybe late no but anyway i left in 2017 and me and my wife went traveling for a while we then ended up getting married and nice. i came back to the uk and i decided i didn't want to go back into the office and i saw the shop that i'm in now was up for rent and i was like you know i want to do this i want to I've wanted to do cakes for ages. I wanted to do a baking. I wanted to have, have like a little cake shop. I mean, it's a big enough size. I can do it on my own. Let's do it. So yeah, that was four years ago. What were the steps? So you, you saw the site. Was there sort of a, a light bulb moment when you were traveling or was it as soon as you got back, you just saw it and it all fell into place? I think to be honest, like from the time that I finished the course, the food course, I think there'd been like kind of like a little bit burning in the back of my mind all, the whole time that it would be nice to have something like that. It didn't really seem like it would be something I'd do immediately just because getting back to London and things are so expensive. I thought, well, this is not, I haven't got like the, the, the magical capital behind me now. Yeah. I could ask my parents to do it, but at the same time, I, they kind of like, they supported me my entire life. I don't really want to be like, oh, by the way, now after sending me to all these expensive schools and stuff, I also want to open a cake shop. So give me some money. No, I can't. <laughs> I, was, I wasn't prepared to do that. So I was thinking to myself, no, I probably need to work first. But it had always been burning in the back of my mind. I wanted to do that. And yeah, after coming back, I saw it online. Luckily for me, my sister's a property lawyer. So I took her with me, actually. Okay. to um, That was very handy. Actually, went traveling, came back, and then we were going to America for a while for one of my, uh, my wife's uh, cousin's wedding. But in like, the window of like maybe like three weeks, I'd seen the shop come, on, uh, come up. And I was like, I need to go see this shop. It's perfect. I need to go see it. And I had the intention of basically going and just saying yes immediately without even looking at anything. <laughs> yeah. And uh, my sister was like, absolutely not, Matthew. Wait a second. <laughs> Let's have a look at the contract. Let's actually meet the landlord. Yes, this guy here might be the, the listings agent, but he's not the guy who you'll be dealing with on a day-to-day uh, thing. So uh, it, none of that kind of stuff really uh, really entered my mind. I just thought, okay, well, the landlord, uh, the listings agent is going to be the guy I'd be dealing with, but obviously it turned out it wasn't going to be. So it was good that my sister was there to ask all those questions. And so, yeah, I ended up talking to the landlord. He came down and actually viewed the property with us, which is really handy. I don't know how often that happens, but that was quite lucky for us. He turned out to be quite the affable guy. He's a really nice guy. Cool. And uh, yeah, I said I'd take it, but obviously I'm going away for a couple of weeks. What's the chances that if I just put a deposit down, I can come back and we can sort out some more details later. And that was fine. So yeah, I did that, came back. It was fine. Um, there was a few things that I would like the landlord that I wanted the landlord to do first before we did anything like for example there was damp in the in the in the shop yeah which obviously was nothing to do with me so it was like well this needs to kind of be sorted out but I'm more than happy to take the property yeah so we're from there and then that's it so for the listeners in terms of where you saw the property how does that process work did you just see it on sort of right move or something or it was so I, I don't really know how to even explain it because it was it was such a lucky it wasn't even on right move I think it was just on some kind of random website which I was just typing in um commercial units in um in South Nord because that's where okay. I was looking at the time yeah and I don't even I really don't think it was right move I think it was just some kind of it might have even been the actual letting agents website itself which came okay. up on the google search and sorry tell i on the high street there was also another shop and i actually looked at that one a few times it was going yeah. for a lot more money than the one i'm in now it was a nice big space it was basically already finished with all the, like the trimmings that it needs to it needs to have it was nice big glass windows and in my head i'm thinking yeah you know what money's no object i can make this work <laughs> <laughs> and looking back now i'm thinking to myself I think any of the successes that I've had with business have definitely been, well, have in a big part been attributed to the location yeah. and 
how much I'm having to spend monthly in order to keep myself afloat before I pay any, uh, before I make any profit or anything, I have to keep to just do all that kind of stuff. Whether or not I'm now in a position, which is good, like four years down the line, um, I'm now in a position that if I did want to take on that shop that I'd seen beforehand, that was at least a good, I think it was coming up to at least a good four times more expensive. I could, but that's only after four years worth of work. Yeah. Trying to do that in the first instance, absolutely not. I just, uh, there's, I think uh, my, I don't want to say ego, but the hubris. Of, yeah, you've got to take the baby steps, haven't you? Exactly, you have to take the baby steps. And I think that uh, that's one thing I do often try and tell people when they do want to start a business is that you might see uh, like me and some of my other um, like work colleagues, not they have any, but like um, work people who are also have like small businesses in the area. I think a lot of people ask us like, oh, um, oh this is, you guys look like you're having a, having a laugh and you're having a fun time. And we do have a fun time, but that's because we are always working. Yeah, It's not easy. It's fun. Don't get me wrong. It's, it is fun. I, I really enjoy what I do now and I'd never go back to doing anything else. But there is always a lot of work to be done as well. You're not just doing, for, for example, with me, you're not ju- I'm not just making cakes. I'm also technically I'm front of house as well. I'm yeah. also, I also make coffee, which is something, I know it sounds like a small thing, but you have no, I had no idea how much time coffee was going to take out of my life. People are particular about <laughs> oh coffee as well, goodness. aren't they? I, they are so particular about coffee. I've got two little small um, coffee machines. And whilst they do make really good coffee, and whilst my coffee is very good, it still is just me making them. And the coffee machine can only go as fast as the coffee machine goes. <laughs> yeah. uh, I remember having one group of young people. I, I don't want to sound like uh, this old, oh, these hipsters came in, because I, I do run a vegan cupcake shop, so I'm not one to talk. <laughs> but, but these young people came in, and there, there was a big queue of people behind them. And there was at least a good seven of them. They're like, okay, can we get some coffee? It's like, yeah, sure, of course. Okay, can I have one tall, skinny so-and-so? I was like, okay, fine. Can I have a dry cappuccino with oat milk? Okay, fine. Uh, can we have two uh, time suet flat whites, but one of them with almond milk? I'm like, guys, honestly, you are you're killing me. This is come on. You can even if even if I'm very happy for the business. Obviously, I'm not going to ever turn it down. However, you can see it's just me in here. You are asking for the most convoluted drinks possible. I don't know if this is is this a show? Are you putting me on the spot now? Are, you, are these real? Is, are these real drinks? Are you trying to are you trying to trip me up here? Um, so yeah, I, if you'd ever asked me a couple of years ago how long I spend doing stuff, coffee was not something that I would I would have said I would spend a lot of time doing. But yeah, going back really quickly to my point, so there's a lot of stuff that needs to be done as well. It's not just about like opening the shop and uh, and like it runs and it's fine. North groundwork needs to be done. You need to do all your social media. Not yeah, you can do other stuff. I mean, obviously, social media has its place, and I would probably say you don't like back in the day. I would have said you'd have to be on every social site. I don't think that's necessarily true now. I think you probably should like just um use your time wisely and be where the people who want your product are i don't see the value in twitter for my product i've got a twitter i don't i don't focus much my time on there because the 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 things that i sell is a very visual it's a very visual product whilst twitter does have a um a, a a visual aspect to it now when it first starts up, it didn't. It was very much just about like how many characters you can fit into a small tweet. And I think that the audience that's on there is still a little bit of that old hat where that's what they are kind of on Twitter for. Yes, pictures and stuff are nice to have on there. The other media that's on there is also great, but it's still the pe- the main bulk of people who are on Twitter are still people who want to get news or get information in that kind of way. Yeah. Um, Instagram, I think, is a tricky one because whilst my other stuff is very visual and Instagram is probably where it should be and it's that is where i do the most the bulk of my stuff we are already in the free fall into uh, static pictures unless they are incredibly well maintained and incredibly well groomed 
aren't really doing it for you anymore. If you want to be getting, if you want to be making money off those images in terms of like converting those likes into actually making any money, Instagram is not the one. It's not, it's just not, it's not. It's, it's all not moving good. to video now. Exactly. Yeah. It's all moving to video and you're not really, it's nice to have like an archive of, uh, archive of all your stuff. But really, if you're trying to make any actual money through Instagram, through your product, you have to be really, really, really super niche or just very in- incredibly good. There's a lot of competition out there, and yeah, and uh, given what you what you end up doing as a as a small business owner, you end up getting pulled in so many different directions. But yeah, you might you might have the time to be able to make some incredibly good uh, online content for your Instagram that will convert into into actual real world sales. But the majority of us, I would probably say, don't have that time. If you've got the time to to get a social media manager, by all means, do it. But again, a lot of us who are who has just started up our businesses. Um, it's usually an expense that you can go without at the moment. Just going back to the start, so you, you had to get a few things sorted in the shop at mm-hmm. the, the start. In terms of what was in the shop before, how did you come up with a name? What were the sort of first steps in your first weeks and months after getting your keys? So in particular with the name, I was just basically, I, I quite like earthy things. I like, um, I'm quite a big fan of nature. If anyone's ever been to the shop, there's a lot of plants. Um, although it is, a, it is a coffee shop, there's lots of plants, there's a lot of wood, um, there's a lot of natural stuff in there. And playing on the fact that I am a guy in a, in a traditionally female-led um, industry, not necessarily hospitality, but in terms of cakes and stuff like that, <clears throat> I wanted to do something that was almost a bit more masculine sounding so yeah my friends do make fun of me the fact that when i tell them that story they say so you chose something with nuts i'm like oh yeah <laughs> that's a good i didn't think about that but it's mainly because i i i, I like the like the subtleties of like the the taste of different like um plants like that like walnuts do have like a nice creamy texture to them and also uh along with the the, the naturalness of honey and like and even the colors of, of both walnut and honey yeah nice uh warming brown tones um those are the kind of things that I like, so I think that that, was, that that seemed quite quite apt as a name. Did you have any other names in the running? Um, so I thought that one that was really good, but no one else seemed to like it as much as I did, was just the name Something Good. It doesn't give away <laughs> exactly what you're selling, or the fact that it's food. I know, I can see, I can see your face, so yes, that's why we kiboshed that one. Every okay. time. <laughs> so yeah, but I thought that the idea would be like, be like oh, what are you eating? And they'd just say, oh, something good. I thought that'd be hilarious. Obviously, it works. Yeah, it, it works. But yeah, I'm I'm quite happy I didn't go down the path of that one because, um, yeah, it, it doesn't work as well. But yeah, I do. I do. I'm quite happy with the, with the name Wonderstanny, and even down to the way it uh, it translated into the logo. I had a young lady, a graphic designer. Essentially, what I told her, what I've just told you about how I've came up with that name and why I came up with it, and she designed me a logo, which was um rather than doing it digitally, she did it in Lino. Um, to okay. give it that, so basically, the, the the logo that you'll ever see on any of my stuff is actually originally a lino print, which is why it doesn't look particularly um, polished. And that's something that I really liked about it. I like the fact that it looked very natural. Um, yeah. Even like the stamp that I have uh, that I put on um, on all the on all my merchandise and stuff like that. That's this, that's the original lino stamp. Um, <laughs> so woe betide me when that breaks. Fingers crossed it doesn't. <laughs> but, but yeah, that's um, that's the kind of thing I, I like about it. And the shop itself as well. Um, when I got in there, it was completely, I think, what was it? The colours on the walls was like this kind of deep, regal purple. Um, I think uh, it used to be a record shop before I was there, but... Yes, I think I remember. I was trying to wrap my brains as to what I think used to be there, and I think it was a record shop for a bit. Yeah. I don't remember what it was before that. I think it was like bric-a-brac for a little yeah. while. Someone told me it used to be a pet shop years ago. I'm like, how... Knowing how big the shop is, it's not particularly big. I'm just thinking yeah. that must have been absolutely the worst thing ever. 
having all those pets in, unless it was like know, selling pet food maybe but the idea of having any kind of animal in that tiny shop is just not practical um but yeah the first thing i did was look around to see where, where i could uh, put stuff but again whilst i was whilst i was traveling i'd already had like ideas in my mind as to what i wanted to do so i remember i i don't know if i'd be able to ever find them again but if i ever do i'll like, try and post it on my instagram um there's like a little drawing i made when we were in uh in kuala lumpur and it was it's basically a drawing of like how i'd like the shop laid out and okay. yeah i think I, i've still got it somewhere basically that's exactly how the shop's laid out now brilliant so yeah nice so you kind of visualized it and then made it into yeah. reality yeah exactly and then the concept of the micro bakery itself, mm. do you bake on site? What does your typical day look like? So my typical day looks like, uh, yeah, I bake everything on site. Uh, one promise I gave my wife is that when I first opened the shop, all of the baking stuff would be at the shop. There would be nothing at home. <laughs> <laughs> there would be no coming home to having cake mix everywhere. Everything is at the shop. I mean, the funny thing is actually I've got a, a very nice uh, dishwasher at the shop, which we don't have a dishwasher at home. So sometimes I fantasize about washing dishes, <laughs> which is really sad. But I fantasize about washing, taking the dirty dishes to the shop and just washing them there. But yeah, the usual day is I get in at about an hour before I actually open the shop. So I get there, I do a, sm- a small tidy down, I make sure the uh, coffee machine is working fine, I do a wash down and a clean down of those. And then I start planning what I'm planning on doing for that day, but also that week. So I look at my diary. I usually do about maybe four or five birthday cakes a week. Okay. Wow. So that's on top of doing the cupcakes. I do about maybe, I try and have about maybe between four and six flavors of cupcakes on the go at any point. The cabinets in the shop can hold about 200 cupcakes. So I make average, I'll try and keep it filled-ish. Um, on a Saturday, yeah. it will be completely filled with about 200. Um, but throughout the week, it's usually about... 120 150 just in there just to be on the safe side and then yeah just basically see what i want to do that week if it's depending on the season really i like a, i change um change the like the kind of theme of what's going to go in there for yeah. example like this seeing it this winter the last couple of weeks leading up until i took time off for christmas was a lot of ginger stuff a yeah. lot of like nutmeg um a lot of like uh christmasy type flavors a lot of like alcohol flavored uh, cakes as well just because it's getting more close and close to the time where people want to have like celebrations so i don't tend to put a lot of alcohol in the cakes because obviously it still needs to be child friendly but at the same time it's coming to the festive period and people want to have something a bit more special so yeah so i end up doing that i just basically plan the day around what needs to be done i only open between 10 o'clock and three o'clock on tuesday to saturday and whilst that doesn't sound like a lot of work one i'm all i'm baking throughout the entire time while i'm there i'm yeah. also also dealing with customers the entire time while i'm there as well and like as i said before doing all the coffees and whatever so it's almost like i've got like a working kitchen and people just happen to come visit me which is quite handy yeah. but when i do thin- uh, finish at three o'clock what tends to happen is that i end up staying until about six ish because then it gives me time without any um, distractions of like any customers or like anyone else coming in to chat to me i can get all like the, the actual orders done yeah um so if i haven't managed if it's been a particularly quiet day i can get like birthday cakes and stuff done during the day um if it's been a quite busy day then i'm just i look at my timetable and think this isn't going to happen i'm not going to be able to do these quite intricate cakes whilst people are here so i'll just wait until the shop's closed and i'll, I'll go from there i try and get ho- i try and leave um, the shop by about six um on a usual day we now have a little daughter, so I, before I basically was able to get up really early and come into the shop and finish off anything else that I needed to if I, if I hadn't finished it the night before. That's not possible anymore, so yeah. so now what I do is I try and finish uh, what, I, what I'm doing in the shop by six, that way I can get home to do bath time with her before she goes to bed. But on Fridays, oh, yeah. on Fridays, like um, my family will look after my daughter. Uh, 
I've come okay. some a bit earlier from work as well. So Fridays, if you ever see the lights on in the shop, it's because on Fridays I'm usually there till about nine ish, uh, just finishing <laughs> finishing off a lot uh, a lot of stuff that needs to be done. So yeah. Cool. And with the shop itself, do you do you get your supplies from somewhere special, or is it sort of supermarket? You just buy what you need to make the. Cakes? Um, it's a bit both, to be honest. I mean, like, because I focus so much on like a lot of exotic flavors and flavors you don't tend to get elsewhere. Uh, those things I'll need to buy from specific uh, suppliers. So if I want a particularly interesting essence of something, I ha- I'll have to go go get those from uh, my suppliers. Uh, sometimes I can get them online. There are some like specialist shops in like central London, east London. I can go get those things from, so I, I, if I have time, I go and get them. But in terms of like flour and whatnot, because it is such a shop, a small shop, I don't necessarily have any space to buy in bulk. Um, so yeah. I tend to buy what I need for the week. During the first part of the pandemic, I think maybe was it last year or the year before, or the year before, I think it was the year before, twenty twenty, yeah. So at the beginning of that, so basically when um, there was the flour shortage. Oh, that, gosh, was, yeah, that was that was fun. I remember me sitting there like cursing everyone, saying like, "Ah, you don't even need the flour, damn you all!" <laughs> um, and I ended up having to buy directly from Mills. Now I don't tend to do that because it's a small shop, and whilst yes, making two hundred cupcakes um, for the week and then do it doing the extra five sounds like a lot. In all honesty, it doesn't take that much flour, so I don't really okay. need to have a whole. I don't know, 20 kg bag of flour um, sitting anywhere. Yeah. One, because I can't, I physically don't have the space to do that anyway. And two, because I just, I don't need, I just don't need it. Um, but during the first part of lockdown, when everyone else was buying the small bags, I ended up having to buy a few bags of those. So <laughs> I think to myself, yeah. where am I going to put all this stuff? So essentially <laughs> the, uh, the seating area of the shop became uh, off limits, mainly because one, we weren't allowed to sit down in the shops anyway, yeah. but I remember being, I was doing a lot of um, deliveries at the time. So no one would come into the shop. I would have the door open and so I could ventilate the shop. And then people would come and pick up from the door or I would go and do deliveries. But if I ever turned around to look back at the shop from the front door of the shop, I'd be thinking to myself, oh my God, this place is an absolute mess. I can't <laughs> wait for it to go, things to go back to fail, uh, fairly normal at least. So at least if it doesn't, then I'm going to have to start rearranging how the shop works. So yeah, I think there's a windmill in Brixton. As yes, well, there is. It? Yeah, I've heard something about. There that. is a wi- and it's so strange because actually, whilst they don't do anything massively commercial, I think it's run by a charity. Okay. And if you ever did want to have a, they don't do any like big bulk flour, but they do still produce small batches of flour, which is quite interesting. Yeah, it's a it's a, a working windmill in Brixton. Who knew? So you said you've been doing it for four years. How's how's the growth been? Have you found it? really rapid or has it been gradual over the years people have seen you or heard about you through word of mouth so it's been um it's been really gradual actually but it's been like if we say obviously 90 degrees is like literally straight up which is not uh but like let's say but kind of like that kind of sloping angle it's been pretty good i can't i can't i can't really complain like a uh, touch wood and thank you god like i'm very grateful that i've been able to do something that i really love and something that i really enjoy and I'm also very grateful that the people that come to the shop and people who take an interest in what I'm doing also really seem to really enjoy what I'm doing. And I think it's one thing to to do something that you enjoy and treat it like a hobby, which is fine. I mean, everyone, I think everyone needs to have a hobby, honestly. Yeah. But a hobby and a business are two very different things. If there's ever one, uh, one thing I would say to anyone who's thinking about starting up, a business that has a product at least it's obviously it's different to like a, a, a digital business but like a, a business that has a physical product take it to the market take it to market and just and see what people who are not your friends or family think about this product because as honest as your friends and family are going to be about stuff they're still your friends and family and there's still going to be that filter of 
we don't want to hurt their feelings too much. Take it to a yeah. market and you can take it to any market, like even just like your local farmer's market, your local brick bat market, anything, well, no, no matter what you're selling, just take it somewhere and just see what it's like. Because at some point, if this does turn into more than a hobby, you're going to also have to deal with the public anyway. So you're going to have to get that experience in there. Yeah. You, you can't be like, oh yeah, I love selling my stuff, but I don't want to talk to people. What? That's not, that's not <laughs> how it works. This isn't a, uh, a Caribbean takeaway. <laughs> so yeah. That's brilliant advice, actually. We'll touch on challenges and the pandemic a bit later. Mm. I wanted to ask, so you're based in South mm-hmm. Norwood. I've, I lived in South Norwood for a number mm. of years from about the age of 14. Mm. You're beside the barbershop. Mm-hmm. I think there's loads of other things springing up. I spent a lot of time when I was younger in East mm-hmm. Dulwich with family mm-hmm. as well. But it's South Norwood's kind of becoming very similar to mm-hmm. that in the sense that every time I come back, there's something new yeah. now. I think the change in face of South Norwood is really cool. And you've mentioned you've got quite a good relationship with some of the other local businesses. Yes. Do you feel that the changing face of South Norwood is the sweep of gentrification? Or do you think that some of the original shops that have been there for years and years will always be mm. there and no one's really going to be forced out? It's just going to add to the area. I think it's going to be a bit of both, to be honest. I think there are some shops which are, I mean, uh, as someone who is not from South Norwood, and also, again, as someone who <laughs> I, I do have to keep reiterating this, I do, it is a vegan cupcake shop. So if there's ever, <laughs> if there's ever a marker of uh, of gentrification, I can't pretend like I'm not um, a part of it. However, I, I do think that as long as the businesses that are moving into the area are designed so they are not exclusive to people who are moving there now, that is one thing that I think that could be positive for the area. Sometimes you'll see, and I think a good example of this is, for example, Peckham. I don't know how how, yeah. how fair you are of Peckham. I lived, most of my primary school yeah. years, I actually lived in Peckham yeah. myself. So yeah. they, you, you, you know firsthand then what, what, what I'm probably going to say. Places like Peckham where the gentrification is almost, well, it's not almost, it is, it's palpable. There is a road of abject poverty, and then alongside that road where people who are not necessarily from the area and haven't just have just have actively not engaged with the people who, who've been in the area for a long time have decided to build up around it and without any kind yeah. of oh let's try and integrate or let's try and work alongside and i think that's the main problem when 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 businesses and people move into an area and they don't make any kind of conscious effort to actually be involved in that community that is where i feel that there is an, an issue and to try, try and come into an area and pretend like, oh, but no, we're building the community here. Building, You're building a community. You're not building the community that every single area in this country or in any country has a community that's there. You're not building anything yeah. new. You're not building something on nothing. You might be building something separate, which has its own issues, but you are not building something new. Those people are already there. And I think there's long as the businesses and also people who are moving into those areas remember that and work alongside that and don't try and pretend like they're reinventing the wheel or just inventing the wheel full stop actually then that is that's i think is the only way of combating what is going to happen with gentrification and i can see it already in this in in this area if there is any any marker of um of what is to come for south Norwood. on the one hand i'm torn because as a business owner and as a property owner in the area obviously i want to see the house prices and other businesses prospering there but yeah, on the other hand as a person of morality i don't think that there's any reason to 
wish doom and gloom on some of the businesses that have been there for a very long time and do serve um, uh, an aspect of the community that's there. Uh, it might not be an aspect of the community that I I notice. I mean, for example, there is a Portuguese um, cafe which is around the corner, which I I have to put my hands up and say I didn't even know it was there. I've been here for <laughs> I've been here for four years and I've never even noticed it's there. But it does serve um, a a big chunk of the Portuguese community in the area. It's not for me to say, oh well, you know, like, no one uses that shop. People do use that shop. It's I don't use that shop, but that doesn't mean that no one uses that shop. Yeah. And so shops like that and shops that serve particular audiences, I hope that they do stay. I hope that they can also capitalize on the people who on the new people who are coming in. Uh, whether or not it means that they have to maybe update themselves a bit. If they want to, then by all means, yes, go for it. If they don't want to, then it's up to them. They already have, the, the fact that they managed to, uh, managed to stay afloat for so long is a testament to how good they are at doing what their businesses they're doing. I'm going to use the example of the barbershops who's, who's next door to me now. They're absolutely <laughs> lovely guys. I mean, like, yeah. I honestly, I don't think that my business would, would have worked if I hadn't had neighbours as good as them. They're really, really good. Yeah. They've given me some really nice advice and just generally just, I don't have any work colleagues, so it's nice to actually, like, they're my work colleagues, essentially. Between them yeah. and then we've got the tattoo guys next door to me. Got the, the what's called the therapy rooms guys, the florist across the road. Those those guys are my work colleagues, and it's only because they're so nice and so welcoming that I think that my business has been able to uh, survive as well. They've been there for 25 years, so they must be doing something right. Yeah. Do you get a discount? <laughs> so Sometimes I do, depending on how uh, how generous he's feeling. Um, but he okay. comes in for coffee every morning. So technically, we're just passing money back and forth between each other anyway. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. So we've obviously lived through the pandemic. It, it does continue to have an effect. What would you say has been the main change you've had to make as part of the pandemic? Mm. And how's the impact been on the business overall? So it's been a weird one because in the beginning, I... Um, <laughs> It's probably not the best thing to say, obviously, seeing as, as the pandemic is still incredibly serious and it is still sadly taking lives. However, one of the positives I'll take from it is that I work very hard. Not I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I do work very hard. It's almost gave me time to pause. Mm-hmm. It kind of forced me to go, oh, Matthew, okay, fine. Well, there's, there's literally nothing else to do. My job is a very physical one. I can't digitally sell someone a cake. Well, I can, but I can't digitally like, send it to them by... My taste is that my my product is not that kind of thing where I I would like to send you it by online. It's not the same kind of um experience I want to I want for my product. So I when I decided that well when the decision was made for me that we had to all stop basically, I was kind of at a loss as to like oh I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't know what to do with myself. I've got nothing else to do. Like I I spend all day making cakes and yes I could do that at home but then who's going to eat them I don't really eat cake all the time as much as I'd like to tell myself anyway um I don't <laughs> eat cake all the time my wife can't just sit there eating cake all the time we can't have people around to come visit so what am I going to do now I ended up just uh, like sitting down and figuring out exactly what I wanted to do with the business I guess it was only then that I started thinking about okay well I wanted to start doing more deliveries I wanted to have that wing okay. to my business but I never got around to doing it I never I constantly had um companies like Just Eat and Uber Eats and um, Deliveroo trying to contact me to say like do you want to come onto our platform and whilst I did I physically just did not have the time to sit down and properly think which one is best look at their platform have a chat to one of their uh, their sales reps to see I, I didn't have time to do it so that's what three years of me saying I need to do this and yeah. even though like all the information was being thrown at me I just physically didn't have time to do it so over the time when I was forced to take some time off that did give me the time to do it. So now I'm on Deliveroo, which is handy for me because I 
at the beginning of the pandemic where I remember trying to do the deliveries myself. I was like, I'm not doing this. This is <laughs> this is not for me. We didn't have a car at the time either. So basically I was all I was using a zip car. And on top of using a zip wow. car, I was also putting a wagon around South Norwood. Absolutely not. Never again. It was the, the people I still have customers coming to me saying, Do you remember that time of the wagon? I'm like, Yes, I do. Yes, I do remember that time of the wagon. Please don't remind me of it. <laughs> so yes, yeah, so that was one that was one good thing. In terms of like um what it meant for the business, uh, it also gave me a bit of time to think about think about what if this ever did happen again, what do I need to do in order to ensure that this business can continue? And I think in some ways I've kind of done it. There are definitely other things I need to do to make sure that things continue to be uh, as smooth as possible. But I think one of the things is that as much as I really love people coming in and sitting down and having a coffee and having a chill out in there, the shop isn't desi- wasn't designed for that in the first place. What I really wanted to do is essentially, as I said before, have a, a small working kitchen, essentially the micro bakery. And from there, do all my baking, and then people would either come and pick up stuff, or like I'd use it to uh, do a small, um, small wholesale for other shops and for other coffee shops and whatnot, and go from there. And taking a step back and realizing that that actually is the direction I wanted the business to carry on going, I will continue to keep the shop they have at the moment for as long as I I still enjoy it, and as long as uh, my landlord really wants me there. But I'll continue that. But I do know now that in order for me to have this business grow in the way that I wanted to and still maintaining that kind of like smaller, smaller wholesale, uh, small batch identity, I am going to have to find another space to do baking. Not necessarily like a big industrial warehouse, but just somewhere that I could have a few members of staff just doing the baking and not necessarily having to talk to members of public. And then just go from there. That way I can still keep it really nice and niche. I can still continue to have the small random flavors and like exotic flavors um things yeah. can stay as fresh as possible but it wouldn't just be me doing everything you've been to the shop you can see how small it is i physically can't have yeah. that many people in there first of all i can't have that many customers in there anyway so it's quite fortuitous that we've now moved away I've, I've, the shop has like almost organically morphed into a more of a takeaway place which is handy there's still spaces to sit down in there but for the most part it is people come and take away and, and do whatever yeah but the other the other factor is that i physically can't really work with someone else there because Unless the door's closed and it's just me and one other person there, there's not really any space to do it. So yeah, so that's that's one thing that the pandemic has really opened my eyes to is that that is the way forward. I'd like to be taking the business and that would be that I need to new, well, in the next couple of years, I need to find another premises, which would be a non-public facing spot to do some more baking whilst trying to um, keep uh, keep the shop going as the storefront. Brilliant. And I read about a admin error, which delayed you getting some of the government grant. Oh my God. Uh, what happened there? And uh, also, how do you stay positive when things like that go wrong? So that was a... Oh, first of all, let me let me say that whilst it was an admin error, it was completely my fault. It was... It was I, I, as much as I, I love to blame the government and the, and the council for everything, as, as far as I'm concerned. However, this one was on me. So what tends to happen is that I don't know what happens in other council, uh, in other um, in other boroughs, but for Croydon in particular, you get sent a business rates uh, letter, and essentially what it is, the business rates letter will say whatever you're paying on your for any for any of your listeners who you don't know, essentially whatever you're paying on your property in terms of rent that goes to your to your landlord, but there's also the business rates which you pay to your to the council, which goes towards I don't know like tidying up of like business waste and like basically just. Like council tax, basically, but for businesses. That's essentially what it is. Okay. For small businesses uh, in Croydon, I don't know if this is for other uh, councils, but in Croydon, if your business is a, of a certain size, you actually don't, you're exempt from business rates. And I don't know, I think that might be a policy um, just for Croydon or 
it could be a nationwide one, but I don't remember seeing that anywhere for anyone else, so I could be wrong. Uh, but either way, for Croydon, you do not pay business rates if you are a small business. Now, I've had this letter come to me every year for about maybe three years, and because I know I don't pay business rates, and that's just been my understanding from my landlord and also from my lettings agent, and also I've seen the letter that comes. I don't, and it says you owe zero. I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. I don't have to do anything with this. I file it away. I do nothing with it, and I don't think anything of it. In order to have access to uh, the government grant, you need to basically prove that you are the business owner and that you are paying business rates or you are exempt from business rates, one or the other. So I was like, oh, fine, yeah, okay, I've got that letter. Let me just find the letter. And I look, take the letter out, and I'm like, okay, well, here's the letter. And I'm looking at it, thinking, okay, well, well let me see where I can find my, um, my my account number, basically. And I've, I've never yeah. I've never logged onto any website to do anything with this because I've never had to. And at the top of the letter, it still says the old name of the old business that used to be there. So it doesn't say my name. <laughs> it doesn't say my name. It doesn't say it. I don't even think it says um says the address of the actual property. It just says the old name of the old business used to be there, and the name of the gentleman whose account it used to be. And so this entire time, it's not actually been in my name, and I've never noticed because I've never needed to do anything with it. So yeah. Um, and so when I call them up, I say, okay, well, it was if you're not registered as the um as the as paying business rates, then you're not eligible for any of the grant. I was like, oh. I see. <laughs> so I'm now closed. I am now not getting any government grant. I've still got bills to pay. Yeah. Luckily, my landlord was very understanding, actually. He didn't. He allowed me to uh, pay, I think it was like 80% less rent for about, I think, about six months and basically I paid it back after that. So okay. really nice guy. Um, I can't stress enough how good it is to have a good relationship with your landlord if you are going to have a, um, a, a physical premise. Premises. Even better if you can buy the property, but if you if you can't have a good relationship with your landlord, so yeah, so that was nice. That gave me a little bit of a buffer, but at the same time, I was like, okay, I'm, what am I gonna do now? I've got, I've literally got. And the worst thing was, um, I'm in a, like a WhatsApp group with lots of other, like business owners in the area, and they're all like, oh yeah, I got mine, I got. Mine. I was like, oh good. <laughs> uh, so guys, like Matthew, how are you doing? I'm like, I'm fine. I'm fine. I am fine. Yeah. I'm fine. Matthew, you're saying you're fine a lot. I know I'm fine. I'm fine. So, so yeah. So basically, what and then what happened is that I think a lot of the I think Croydon Council realized that a lot of people were also in my position. Yeah, and so they essentially they backdated all of the payments as long as you could prove that you'd been there for at least. Yeah, I think it was the past six months or something like that. So if okay. you could show that, then um, then they would basically backdate you and then go from there. So yeah, luckily for me, once that happened, that happened. But then yeah, I was able to be backdated. However, it was. Because of the position I was in, where it's just me, there's no one else there. Luckily for me, uh, we didn't have any children at the time. My wife has her own job. She's a teacher. So there was no point where I was like, oh my God, I'm going to be out in the street. So I was very lucky in that kind of situation. And also the fact that my landlord was very very understanding as well. So I read also that you hate disappointing people and you've had to say no to a couple of orders. Is this mainly just people being last minute with orders or... has anyone ever asked you for anything crazy that you're just like, that's impossible? I can't do it. <laughs> uh, well, first of all, I don't like the word impossible. I don't think anything is impossible. It might be impossible for me, but I think someone else can do it. So I, I sometimes there have been times when I've been, I mean, I, again, touch wood and thank you God, there have been times where I've been physically too busy to be able to take on any more orders, which is incredible. It's not a position I thought I'd be in. Um, yeah. in, in, in just for considering it, it, I, I spend all day making cake I didn't think I'd be in a position where I, I'd be telling people I'm way too busy for you uh, right now but I, I've been in that position and it was really nice actually um, not for my stress levels but it was <laughs> it was it was nice for to see how, how well the business is done 
there are also some times where last minute stuff I can do. It depends on how I'm feeling and it depends on what my diary is looking like. If you come to me last minute and say, I've got a birthday tomorrow morning that I am so sorry, I've completely forgotten, but she, I know she's a vegan and gluten-free and she needs something special. If I've got nothing to do for that next morning or if I've done everything already, I can do it. And okay. 80% of the time I will say yes, depending on how I'm feeling. If you come to me in the exact same situation and you say, blah, 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 this is, uh, can you do it? I'd also like to have Minnie Mouse drawn on there and X, Y, and Z. And also, could you, I bet, no, I'm sorry. That's, <laughs> that isn't <laughs> happening. If, it, if you come, if you come, if you, uh, it's the same way that I, I wouldn't expect, if I go to someone with a really last minute thing and then I'm really prescriptive about what I'd like, I don't know. I feel like I would be whatever you can give me, just I'll take it. So <laughs> it's like, just give me a sponge, get anything. As long as you can make me something, that's fine. I would be like, okay, that's great. Okay, could you also put some gold on there and then like drizzle some hummingbird tears? And no, it's not happening. <laughs> because at the end of the day, for, for the sake of that one, I, I, I love all my customers. I've not had, I've had, I've had two customers who I can remember, uh, especially considering it's been four years now, or coming up to five. I can only think of two customers where I, where I thought to myself, you shouldn't have taken that order on Matthew. That was a mistake. This is this is now a lot more stressful and a lot more unnecessarily difficult than it needed to be. However, with that being said, bear in mind the fact that, again, as I said before, I do have like between five and seven cakes a week, usually on average. In four yeah. years, me the fact that I can only think of two people uh, that that's happened, it's been pretty good going. Um, so again, like thank you to all my customers and thank you to everyone who's ever place an order and put your faith in me that I can produce whatever it is you've asked me to do. It's never any scarier than when, especially when people ask for wedding cakes in particular. Um, <laughs> those are always the best ones because whilst it allows me to do lots of really creative stuff, it's also a really important day and it's also not my wedding. So <laughs> as much as yeah. I might want to do a, I don't know, a, a peanut butter and I don't know, marron glass um, four tiered wedding cake, it's not my wedding. So if they want a, like a really nice plain sponge and they want X, Y, and Z on it, then that's what I do. Yeah. Yeah. I had my own drama with wedding cakes, yeah. actually, because we got married in July and we were getting married in Cornwall and yeah. the cake was sort of the last thing yeah. we decided to order. Went to sort of six people, I think, that made cakes around all of Cornwall yeah. and five out of six said we cannot do yeah. it with two booked yep. up because it was summer and all the weddings that got postponed and luckily one of them was able to do it so i found myself walking through the streets of st ives with our wedding oh cake God. carrying out to the venue on the morning of but <laughs> it wasn't stressful for me because i was super relaxed yeah. and i had no other jobs to do so i did it then got in my suit and then walked along the beach before i got married oh, so it was, nice. it was lovely oh, well, congratulations <laughs> on the marriage as well thank you very much what was the best thing about starting the business and what's been the best thing since you've been running it as well I think my favorite memory, and also the most, probably the most terrifying memory of, of it all, is that during the period of setting everything up, my wife will tell the story differently, but this is <laughs> this is how I remember it. I don't remember it being too stressful. I remember, I remember it was a lot of work to like get the shop open and like get all that stuff done, and a lot of people came to help me. I've, I've been really lucky, like um, with family and friends who's taken time out of their day to come and help me paint walls, put put shelves up, build stuff in the shop. In particular, my wife, we spend a lot of time, bearing in mind, she's also had to go back to school and teach and all that kind of stuff as well. I remember at the end of the very first day, well, sorry, opening on that first Saturday, 20th of January, and 
thinking, okay, this is it. Need to this needs to needs to needs to be good. Let's let's go. Open the door and there was a queue of people um outside. And bear in mind that it's a vegan it's a well at the time it wasn't vegan, but it's a cupcake shop in South Norwood, which isn't like the most well known place in the world. To have a queue of people queuing outside for something that I just thought was going to be a fun way to spend my days and to have those people waiting outside and on the very, and basically selling out on the first day. Yeah. And so many people we were just happy to have me there and have us there. So and I remember on the very, on the end of the very first day, looking at my wife and being like, oh my God, that, that, was ex- that was intense, that was exhausting. She goes, yeah, it was really amazing. I'm so proud of you. And that was lovely. But the thing that really, that was also amazing is that at that point it dawned on me, oh crap, this is it. <laughs> <laughs> this, this, do this every day this, and this has to work now this is this yeah. is it this is this has to work i mean I've, all this work i've put in all this work that my family and friends and wife and like parents and everything has put in this has to work and people are now expecting that this is going to work as well because everyone's turned up and they've all seen what the shop has to offer and they're also happy that it's here i have to make this work now and that was in one way really incredible but in the other way it's like oh my god this is terrifying but then it's just, I don't know, like you just carry on. You Because I really enjoy doing it. It's the best thing I've ever decided to do. It's my favorite. I, I love getting up in the morning and going to the shop and making random stuff. And I think that's the thing that really keeps it exciting for me is that I get to just make whatever I want. And yeah. people either like it or don't like it. I mean, like, luckily for me, 99% of the time, it's always good. People like it. That 1% of the time is a flavor that we don't speak its name. <laughs> it's, <laughs> so I decided that I would do a peppermint sponge with a licorice buttercream. I don't know what mm. I was thinking, honestly. I, think, I don't like either of those no, things. Exactly. Absolutely. Just the worst combination of flavors. But in tea, it works really well. So I was thinking to myself, oh, yeah, you know what? Yeah. This is going to work. It works in tea. I like peppermint, and licor- peppermint and licorice tea. Let's go. Let's see how this works. Absolutely not. It's, it was just, <laughs> it was so bad. Normally the cakes will like the cupcakes will sit maybe for a day and a half at, at a push and they'll still be fresh. Yeah. The and then they'll all be gone because I only make twenty four in a batch. Okay. These ones I think I put in the freezer to main to basically to keep the longevity of them up. Because I thought, okay, fine. No one wanted them the first day. Let me try the next day. Okay, no one wanted them the second day. Let me try the third day. And by the time it got to day four, whilst they technically were still uh, were still fresh because of the freezing process, no one was having them. And I've never thrown away cakes in that shop, but I had to throw these away. All all 24 of them, I had to say, you know what? No one wants these. No one wants these. Actually, tell I'm 23 of them I threw away because if you ever pass okay. by the shop, in the window, I dehydrated one of them and I use it as decoration. So one of those in the window is peppermint and, and uh, licorice. But obviously, mm. it's been there for four years now. But like, <laughs> and still, no one wants it. So yeah, it's an interesting fact for anyone walking yeah, exactly. the shop. Now. <laughs> That's the one. And are there any big mistakes you've made along the way aside from the uh, business rate stuff? Yeah, well, that was fun. Uh, not. I wouldn't say a bit. Well, yeah, I guess in some ways it's it's a mistake that you wouldn't that you wouldn't have known it was a mistake and without the power of hindsight, just not saying no to things that you know you shouldn't be taking on. There's always that like little okay. gut feeling in you that that will tell you like you shouldn't be doing this or like that is not a good idea. Or you don't have enough time to do this. Don't do it. I don't know what it's like in other in other industries, but I'm sure there's probably uh, in any industry where you're creating something um, or you're having to present something, you're gonna know when you're presenting or creating your best. And you can only do that when you feel comfortable and happy. If you're not comfortable or happy in what you're doing, it's going to reflect in what in the product that you have at the end. Um, and I know that there have been times where I've taken on too much 
And whilst the customers still really like the cakes, and whilst the, uh, from the outside point of view, they it was really, it's really good. I know for myself, I'm like I I shouldn't have done that. I've taken on too much. This has now become stressful, and I could have done better with those pieces of work. And essentially, because they are always small, like little pieces of art, and that's really what I'm sending. I'm sending like small little edible pieces of art to people, as pretentious as that yeah. sounds. Um, people are paying a premium for it, and I shouldn't be. Uh, I shouldn't. Each one should be as special as 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 the other. I shouldn't be trying to rush one um, just because I I haven't managed my time properly. So, yeah, don't don't overbook yourself. And do you do things like taxes and finance all yourself, or do you have someone that does? I've got that? someone because I think that. that's a common challenge. Okay. I mean, like, I'm not particularly good at numbers. Um, I would say again, if you are not good at something and someone provides a service, in the same way that I am not. I can't do gas. I can't do plumbing. <laughs> yeah. So I'm not going to. Uh, those are things in the same way as with your taxes. Um, those things can blow up in your face <laughs> if you don't do them properly. So if you can afford to, um, I would say definitely try and set aside some uh, some of your 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 um, monthly income to get your taxes done, at least until you get comfortable enough to do it yourself. If you ever get to that stage, by all means. I know I'm not comfortable enough to do it. I also physically, I just don't have the time. I don't have the brain space to do it. Um, and I'd rather it done properly rather than worrying at the end of each month, like, oh, I didn't do my taxes. I just, I'd rather just have yeah. it done. Um, you don't want someone coming to knock on the door. Oh, exactly. And, say, and even like, not even so much like someone knocking on the door. I don't even want like just like the, 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 the last minute letter saying, by the way, your taxes yeah. are due tomorrow. And like, oh my God, I've got like five cakes to do tonight. I can't physically do that. I just, I'd rather have it just done by someone else. And um, yeah, yeah, it's just easy that way. And you mentioned fatherhood earlier. So how have you found balancing that with running the business? Has it been plain sailing? Are you lining your daughter up to take over the reins when you, so <laughs> when you retire? The one thing I'd love for my daughter to do, and if we do have any other children, I'd, I'd love them all to do this, is that I don't necessarily, unless they want to, I don't necessarily want them to work. Um, uh, I don't want them to work at all. <laughs> I don't. I don't necessarily want them to work um, in my dream. If it's their, yeah. if it's their dream to do it and they want to do it, then I'd, I would. To be honest, even I'd like them to like take the business further than I've taken it. Yeah. Uh, I wouldn't want them to come and work with me just for the sake of me saying you're going to come work in the family business. That's not the experience I had growing up. But my parents never prescribed that I had to do anything like that. I was very lucky in that um, they spent a lot of time letting me and my siblings know that whatever I have an interest in, then they will be happy with us and uh, support that. Obviously, I, I had to realize that at the same time, they are, <laughs> are investing quite a lot into my future, so I can't just mess around and like, mess around with their, with their cash and their, and their hard work. But at the same time, as long as it was something that was going to make me happy and also keep me comfortable, then they were happy with me doing that. And that's what I'd like to do with my daughter as well. Yeah, But fatherhood has been intense it's i think the best way of describing it, my dad said to me when i asked him like, oh, what was it like he said it's just incredible i was like oh you know good ways like just incredible in general in every sense of the word yeah there was so she's only one uh, she's only 13 13 months she started walking at about maybe 11 or 10 months so everything <laughs> everything is at her reach and she's very fast. Yes. Um, she teaches me so much. Teaches me how many dangerous things we have in the house. That's one thing she's teaching me. But she's also just teaching me like yeah that she sees everything new and she's seeing everything in like a, in a just completely new way. She's not seeing it through how I'm teaching her to do it or how my wife's teaching her to do it. And I think the one thing I worth to say is that like 
parenthood is so it's so tough and it's so rewarding but yeah being able to do it in like a duo i'm in a very fortunate position that like i'm i'm, I'm married to an amazing woman and she's a fantastic mom i would not be able to do this <laughs> on my own and i'm lucky as well that like I, my parents only live around the corner i've got two amazing sisters who like they love and i a bit so they come out and help out all the time Celia's parents are both retired, so they come around. They like, like Digi and I. It's like the brighten up of uh, brightens up their week, so they come around and look after and I as well. Yeah. So it, 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 what's the old adage? Uh, it takes a village to raise a child. I one hundred percent, yeah, one hundred percent agree with that. There is not really any way that I wouldn't have been able to. I wouldn't be able to do what I'm doing now if I didn't have that kind of support from my wife and from my family. Mm. That's amazing. And what do you do to wind down outside of work, aside from family time? I watch a lot of anime. Um, funny enough, I actually watch a lot of uh, food anime. So that's all, that's okay. another one which really inspired me as to do what I, what I like doing. Like, um, is one which I'm pretty sure is designed for children, but I still find it really interesting. Uh, it's basically this young girl wants to be a pastry chef, and like all the animated food on there is uh, just incredible to me. It looks fantastic. Inspiration. It's massive inspiration. Honestly, it's just uh, like. Yeah, I just really love it. Um, and then I play a lot of video games. A massive Nintendo nerd. Okay. Uh, so if anyone ever wants to beat me at Smash, <laughs> by all means, play. Try come play me at Smash Brothers. It'd be awesome. I'm not the guy. Uh, I'm not the guy for that. Unfortunately, <laughs> I tried to play in some friends. We went up to Newcastle a couple of months ago, and mm. we ended up in a video game cafe. And yeah. one of my friends was amazing, and the the rest of us just got <laughs> smashed every time. Ah, oh, Smash Brothers is like one of the best games ever. But yeah, cool. Um, and in terms of like guidance from others, have you had any mentors? Have you had people inspiring you, like other bakers? Are you in any groups with other people that um, own micro bakeries? So you know what's really funny. So when I, before I uh, when I start when I was watching working at HS two, um, I was still baking then because I had a well, essentially I had a lot of time on my hands because. My role was very reactive, even though yeah. as somebody just digital communications, I probably should have been quite proactive. <laughs> but given the the nature of the project, there's only so much we could tell people. Um, so there was <laughs> oftentimes there was not much for me to do. So I would still carry on baking. And I was in this group on Facebook. And I still remember this because it was quite, I found it quite funny. I'm sure the ladies who, uh, who did it probably found it quite embarrassing. I don't remember how I even joined it, to be honest. There was like a, a few, like, you remember back in the day, there used to be like a, lots of like groups were the thing on Facebook. Everyone would be in different groups yeah. and they'd all join groups. And I think I was in like a cake, a cake group of some kind. And I was like posting pictures of my cakes every now and then, like just random cakes I was making. And um, this lady who ironically, she actually, uh, we are now quite good friends and she actually ends up making a wedding cake. Okay. Um, I'd seen my stuff, but her cakes were amazing. Like the stuff that she used to do, I was like, Oh my god, your stuff's so amazing! It's fantastic. I got I, like I'm just so impressed. And she invited me to um this uh, this group of amateur and professional bakers who all of them were basically older women. Um, <laughs> and I was not only was I the only guy in there, I was the only young person I think in there as well. But before they added me, and this is gonna be really cringe. I hope she never sees <laughs> sees or hears this. Um, before back in the day when you talked about people in Facebook groups. You could obviously scroll back and see uh, what the conversation had been. Yeah. So once I got added to this group, I went. I just scrolled through the group just to see what, what it was about. And I scrolled just through the group just to see everyone else's cakes and that kind of stuff. And there was a picture of me. And I was like, oh, that's weird. And underneath this picture of me is basically all these women... <laughs> All these women saying, "Oh yeah, they're definitely adding. Oh, he's so cute. Oh yeah, adding to the group." I'm thinking to myself, "Oh 
my <laughs> god so literally what now i'm in the group and i think maybe like about five or ten minutes later i send a picture of it to my friend saying should i leave the group is this really weird and i go back to the thing uh go back to the picture and the picture's gone so they obviously then realize that i could have seen it <laughs> oh it was so embarrassing um but yeah, no, that was really fun. But yeah, the lady who um, added me to that group uh, is a massive inspiration for me. Okay. She's just like super nice, uh, a lady called Jennifer. And she actually now works for some kind of American company. I don't know what they do, but actually like every now and then she'll like order stuff from the shop, uh, from my shop for like their big events. Okay. So that's quite handy. Brilliant. So yeah, we still talk right now. So yeah, that she's my one of my biggest inspirations. There's also another lady who, for any of your listeners who are on um, Instagram, there's a lady called Iva Noven, so it's spelled I-V-E-N-O-V-E-N. Like, she's a lady who does, who she bakes in um, Jakarta. Okay. And her cakes, if you get a chance to look at them, if there's ever a, a term, like, when someone says, like, that's a work of art, they are actual works of art. I don't know how, how her hand is so steady in order to create some of these things. I've looked at some of them, and I didn't realize that they were even cake. I thought they were old paintings. Wow. It's incredible. So yeah, if you ever get a chance, it's Ivanovan buttercream cakes, and yeah, it's just incredible work. So yeah, between those two, those are my two um, biggest inspirations, and obviously the animes. Brilliant. And in terms of future plans, so twenty twenty two is around the corner as we're mm-hmm. recording this. But any f- exclusive announcements or anything for the listeners that they can look forward to next year? I know you've mentioned in the future you'd like to potentially take on staff and have a mm. this external kitchen. Is there anything? that you see or you know is happening in the year ahead? Um, nothing major, to be honest. I mean, I, I think my main goal is that I'm going to carry on, need to carry on working towards those, um, the external kitchen. I feel like I know, uh, I know what I'm like and that I need to have a singular goal, not to like work towards it obsessively, but I can, there are so many um, things that pull my attention away in real life that I need to be able to focus on just one. And the one I am focusing on at the moment is, trying to find that space and so that's without obviously it's not a spoiler because i've already told you guys that's what i'm looking <laughs> at what i'm planning on doing but that is my kind of singular goal obviously keeping the business going and keeping things as uh, as 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 good as they are at the moment if not better and improving on my my skills um but yeah that is that's the main thing i'm working towards for the next couple of years and i would like to get there um at least within the next three years uh obviously covid and having a Having a baby puts things a little bit back, but it's again, as I said before, nothing is impossible, and it will happen at some point. That's the that's the goal. That's what I wanted to do from the first go, uh, from the get go, and this is what I'll be focusing on now. But yeah, you never know. You could take over Greg's on South North High Street one day. I would honestly. I'd be, some people told me like, "Oh, Matthew, God, uh, Greg's is disgusting." Like, Greg's <laughs> is doing a fantastic job. When you've got Greg's money, <laughs> then, then you can come and tell me how disgusting Greg's is. In the same way that people say, "Oh, McDonald's is awful." Okay, but do you have McDonald's money? Because I think you yeah. do. <laughs> McDonald's is obviously doing something right. Cool. And then just moving on to recommendations. So any mm. books, films, TV shows or podcasts that you'd recommend? They can be business related or cake related. Anything you just enjoy? So I've probably watched Chocolat a billion times. Uh, I don't know if anyone knows. That's a, that's a, it's not actually a French film, but it's, a, it's, it's, it's focused on a French lady who's a chocolatier. And I've watched that more times than I'd care to tell people. Uh, I've watched it also. I think it's got Brad Pitt in it randomly, which is really strange. Um, again, all of the uh, the anime I was telling you about a second ago. Um, as as nerdy as it is, it does 
if you are interested in food, uh, I would say get inspiration from anywhere. Like the things that they will come out with in, in some of these shows are just because they are animated, their imagination is a bit more free to run with stuff. Yeah. Uh, there's one called Yakitaki Japan. I know it's, it sounds strange, but that one's mostly about the technical skills around baking and actual bread baking. Um, another one called Yumiero Patissia, and that's the one about um, uh, about actual pastry. One called Antique Bakery, which again, very strange, like slice of life kind of anime, uh, kind of show, but essentially it focuses on pretty much what I've done, I guess, like opening a small. Um, a small cake shop um, and it focuses on on that guy's life and how he does it. And it's nothing fantastical. It's not like, a, like there's no big battles or anything okay. like that, but it's just nice to see this is his daily life. And one show, I mean, I don't really listen to that many uh, food podcasts because, again, I quite like seeing food. It's, it's more of a visual thing, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. But one thing I would say is that um, there is a show on well there's a few shows on uh, on netflix chef's table whilst it's not necessarily um focusing on baking it does focus on food and it basically what it does is it looks at people who are really at the top of their game not necessarily in terms of, like their technical skill but in terms of like where their imagination is with stuff um a lot of times people ask me like oh did you watch um, bake off and without sounding like snooty or like snobbish in any kind of way i like the idea of bake off i think it's a nice concept but i work with food all day and i, I also i bake all day yeah. And Bake Off doesn't show me anything to push my imagination forward. Mm. It shows me stuff that that the average person can do, which is nice. It's nice watching that kind of stuff. But it's not something that no one who is in the food industry is going to look at Bake Off and go, like, oh, my God, that's an incredible idea. I never would have thought about doing biscuits. <laughs> <laughs> no one is doing that. But shows like Chef's Table, there's an episode where basically it focuses on this guy who essentially opened up a, um, a dessert only, one of the only dessert, one of the first dessert only bars in new york um and it just talks about his his um his his love of dessert and why that was such an important thing for him and then about how he fell out of love with it and lost his mojo essentially he then ends up traveling to malaysia and then essentially like being in the in the middle of nowhere in the jungle of malaysia and he sets up another one there and he focus i know it's so strange but and then he focuses on like um only using uh, uh, local produce. So honey, for example, honey is what they usually use in, in, in I think it's Malaysia, I'm pretty sure, uh, what they usually use in Malaysia to, to sweeten things. So rather than using cane sugar, for all of these desserts that he would have normally done, like these French pastries and whatever, he uses um, the honey. And using that raw honey gives it like a new depth of flavor. So it will give it a nice smokiness. And the certain flowers that they use, that the bees are pollinating um, from, that flower has a certain taste that you don't get in the West. So all of these desserts that he's now making, all these uh, French-style desserts, now have a uniquely Asian twist to them just purely by the fact that he's using a product which you just would not get in the West. So that's the kind of stuff that I like watching. So yeah, Chef's Table, any of the episodes of that, I think there's like about three seasons of it. There is one other one which is called Top Table. I'm pretty sure it's called Top Table. Now, talking about Bake Off in terms of it's a contest show, this one is also Top Chef or Top Table? I think it's called Top Table. This one is also a contest show, but essentially they've taken a duo of of chefs from every corner of the earth, basically, and they're like one of the some of the top chefs in each in each of those countries, and they make them do the most incredible things, but in their own style. Like they'll say, "Okay, today's uh, dish is um, the full English breakfast." And it's okay. like, "Okay, what are we gonna, what are we gonna do with the full English breakfast?" And so the for example, the the team that was from America. Um, decided to make like a really gastro, uh, gastro, uh, molecular gastronomy uh, version of the full English breakfast. Mm-hmm. So they made like tapioca balls out of the scrambled egg, 
they then did like a, a baked beans, but like just pureed it and then like they evaporated it. So the air of the baked beans was the smell you were getting when you took the lid off it. Mm-hmm. And then in all that, that kind of stuff. Now that's the kind of, that's the kind of stuff that really, again, it's not podcasts and, and that, but those are the kind of shows that I like watching because whilst I'm not there in any kind of capacity at all, that's the kind of stuff that really, as you can hear, like how excited yeah. I am to talk about, talk to you about it. That's the kind of stuff that really makes me feel like that's incredible. I've never seen anything like that. I want to see what I can do to even get a capture like a, a small part of that magic for my cakes. Okay. Um, and so, yeah. I was into a program called, I think it was called Cake Boss when I was at uni. And oh, I yeah, yeah. I remember got Cake addicted Boss. to that on one stage. And I think I went past the, the shop when I was in New York a couple of years ago, but didn't actually go <laughs> in and then regretted it. Uh, nice one. What's your favorite cake, first of all? Oh, okay. So two, anything with gingerbread in it. Love gingerbread flavors. Okay. Uh, and anything with apples. So, like spiced apple kind of cakes. That's that's my stuff. That's my favorite thing. And like with kind of custard or whatever. I think we might have similar tastes then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, is there anyone else in sort of the South Norwood area or any other businesses that you'd like to shout mm. out? People that are doing great stuff, or anyone that supported you in your journey? I would say first and foremost, especially in the South Norwood area, um, the lady called Nicola from Blooming Desires. Uh, she's the florist who's got a flower and plant store directly opposite the shop. And in particular, the reason I, I would like to shout her out is because um, I did the market once or twice before I opened the shop. Um, okay. As I was saying, I definitely take your product to market. But when I was there, she was on the stall next to me and she had a shop in South Nord. And when I was musing about the idea of like, oh, should I, should I do it? It was her actually. Funny enough, her and her mum actually just come to visit over from Jamaica. Uh, said, you know what, just try it, do it. There's like they gave me lots of advice about like um, starting the shop. Ironically, actually, uh, she decided to leave her shop after that because she was it was just not in the right location. Okay. But what she did after that is that she decided to open up the market stall. Um, so she has a permanent stall on the other side of the street from me, um, and it just it's the, just a better location basically. Being on the street that I'm on, like there is a the train station is basically at the end of the street, so there's always a through fare of people coming down that street. So it just makes more sense for her to be there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like in particular, her I would say because again, like me, she works on her own, so we are each other's uh, work colleagues. And the the funny thing is that being a florist and obviously being a cake maker, we've ended up working on a few weddings together, okay. but without knowing each other, knowing that each other are going to be there. <laughs> So I ended up, I turned up um, last year, I did one, at, was it last year maybe? Yeah, I think last year. I did one in Richmond Park and there's like a country house in the middle of Richmond Park. And I was like, oh, these flowers look so nice. And I turned around the corner and Nicola's there already. I'm like, how are you doing here? <laughs> but yeah, it turned out she was doing the flowers. So I was doing the cake. Uh, annoyingly, we probably could have both given us each other a lift there rather than driving <laughs> yeah. at each other, but that's fine. So yeah, and then, yeah, it's just been, she's been really, really supportive and helpful. So yeah. Brilliant. And for anyone listening who hasn't seen your cakes before how would you describe them just for the listeners Ooh, i focus more on how things taste rather than necessarily how they look and that's not to say that the cakes cakes look bad but um but i am focused more on like um trying to bring the flavor through into what they actually look like so i don't do any fondant uh, I only put things on the cake that is part of the whole flavor itself. I try not to put any, well, other people can do this if they want once they buy the cake and like they take it away. But I don't put any like inedible stuff on there. So no plastic models, no flowers or plants on there that aren't edible. For example, I focus a lot on like using a lot of lavender and sage and that kind of stuff because whilst they aren't necessarily part of the cake, whatever flavors I've used, I'm uh, putting those on there. If someone does eat them, they are still complementary to it. 
Um, so like I try and think that quite like that deeply about like the little bits of garnish that go on there. Um, so yeah, everything's done in buttercream. Uh, the buttercream is always a different flavor to whatever the sponges as well. Uh, they're both meant to be eaten together. It's a full experience rather than just picking off bits of fondant like you see sometimes people do. And things shouldn't be too sweet either. I know it's obviously a cake, but uh, it's still food. Uh, yeah. You should be enjoying it rather than thinking it's a bit too sickly. Yeah, that's that's the best way of describing them. And one thing I was going to ask you earlier, which I forgot, when you were at uni, were you quite into cooking? Were you chefing it up every night? Or were you one of the standard students who just kind of finding their feet with cooking? I think uh, I definitely wasn't chefing up every night because I was out clubbing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> On the days when I was at home doing any kind of cooking, I would try and experiment with stuff for myself. And then I tried to cook for my housemates as well. Yeah. But I remember the, the time I specifically stopped cooking for my housemates is I'd made like a really nice, um, uh, like a really nice like roast. And I'd like bought some like little um, poissons and like uh, I think I had some, some mini quail eggs and that kind of uh-huh. stuff. And one of my housemates decided to put ketchup on it. And what, <laughs> I just remember, without even tasting it, I was like, you know what? I'm done. I'm done. I'm not, I, you guys can cook for me. I will cook for myself and that will be it. I'm not cooking for you guys anymore. Absolutely wasting my money. Um, so yeah, but, but no, I did enjoy cooking then, but I didn't do as much of it because it wasn't well received. Yeah. And what country are your family from? Do you cook any cuisine from back home? So both my parents are from Jamaica um, and cake isn't really a big deal over there rum cake but exactly rum uh, rum cake and um and like quite not i don't want to say basic but like simple cakes yeah. is there and i've still got a taste for those because that's kind of like what i grew up on like admittedly my mum doesn't uh doesn't bake at all but my grandma does mm. and i still remember her sweet potato like pie mm. um sweet potato uh, like it's like a pudding i guess but it's kind of it's difficult to describe yeah they do they do cook with different things out in jamaica don't they like you yeah. can have like zucchini cakes with like courgette yeah exactly and, oh, yeah. yeah some carrot cake is a big deal delicious food um yeah so I've, yeah i do cook a lot of that i don't actually cook a lot of the of um savory jamaican food okay. just mainly because i'm super lazy when it comes to that kind of stuff yeah i also don't really like following recipes okay <laughs> so i don't want to i don't i don't admittedly i probably should try and follow some recipes with my grandma and my, my mom and my dad but i like to experiment with food again so if i'm making something new i'm like okay let's see if this works and obviously sometimes it doesn't <laughs> <laughs> but i'll eat it anyway it's fine perfect and you've shouted out your wife and your family mm-hmm. as well in terms of like helping raise your daughter but in terms of business is there anyone else you want to thank or just shout out on the podcast while you got the floor oh um i've done family i've done wife let's see just all my friends to be honest i mean like i've got some really good friends i've got um one of my good friends uh dan <laughs> he's had literally every single difficult job you could think of under the sun he was in the marines for a while wow. he was in the police he was a was it he trained as a some kind of like personal trainer for for the army all manner of like difficult jobs but he also lives in bristol now but he, every chance he gets he always comes down and tries to uh help out and visit as much as possible uh one of my really good friends george um when i first set up the shop he is a logistics manager for um fortnum's okay uh, so he was helping me figure out exactly how <laughs> there's a lot. Of, obviously, I'm not on the scale of Fortnite, but he gave me some really fantastic advice and still does helpful advice about like just how to go about procuring stuff. My daughter's godfather, he's like one of my best friends as well. Again, super, super helpful. Just like, comes down and helps out the time, James. Um, 
just whenever he, he gets a chance. And two of my, uh, two of my closest female friends who have always made time for me as much as I do complain a lot. Uh, they always come down. And both of them are teachers as well. Okay. Uh, so they obviously have their own uh, amount of woes to deal with, but they always listen to my worries and like fears. And uh, Sally and Rachel, who have always come down to help out, even when I did the market stall, uh, they would come down and help out as well, even though they live in like North London. But yeah, it's I've got a good group of friends, which is nice. Brilliant. Good group of friends, a fantastic family, and I am very blessed to be as loved as uh, as I am which is lovely yeah, no, so, yeah it's great and I always get a really positive vibe from you and I think you're really Thank supported you. in the community you've got your five stars on Google which is obviously a great that is the strangest thing to see honestly I try <laughs> I don't really obviously I'm not that guy who like is like oh let me just Google myself but someone told me the other day Matthew have a look at your Google reviews and I never look at them yeah. because I to be honest I, I actually forget that that Google has has the reviewing thing because I see the ones for Facebook and I see the um, the ones on Instagram and whatnot and like on TripAdvisor. But I don't really think about the ones on Google. So I went to go have a look. And I was like, oh my God, there are a lot of people here. And like, it's not just people pressing the five button. People actually spent time writing a review, Some which is, comments. it's yeah. really lovely. And like, um, I think the nicest thing about it is that because it is just me there, it's not like I could, they're like, oh, well, it's that other guy who's working there. It is just me. So, <laughs> yeah. so it's nice to see. And I, I'm very appreciative of that as well. Perfect. And where can people find you if they want to order a cake or come down and buy one yeah. and also on social media? So on all the social medias, even on Tumblr, I'm that old, uh, is Walnuts and Honey, uh, all one word. So And it's Walnuts and Honey, so A-N-D, not the ampersand. In terms of physical address, it's 27 Station Road, SE25 5AH, and that's just literally just outside of North Junction Station. And you can also order on Deliveroo. I'm not entirely sure how wide the range of Deliveroo is. I think it's maybe five kilometers. I'm not too sure. Don't okay. quote me on that. Uh, but yeah, essentially, it will show you when when I'm open again. Uh, and I'm planning on being open again on the 14th of January. That is provided that we don't go into another lockdown or mm. there's any other kind of issue. But if there isn't, then I should be back on 14th of January. Uh, but again, just keep an eye on my socials and I will let you know when I'm back. If you did want to order a cake at all, please, 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 please send me an email. Don't send me a, an Instagram <laughs> message. I don't see them very often. Instagram and Facebook have a very interesting relationship where sometimes it will say I've got a message and I go to look and there's nothing there and then vice versa. Yeah. So yeah, please drop me an email at the bottom of my website. Uh, it's warnosandhoney.co.uk. At the bottom of that website, um, there's a, a form you can fill in for inquiries and that's the best way of getting to me. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for coming on to the podcast and yeah, keep up the good work and have a great year ahead as well. Thank you very much for having me. That's the end of another Hustle Up podcast. Episodes are recorded and produced by me, Josh Burrell, and music is courtesy of Hagen, spelled H-A-G-A-N, on Instagram at Hagen underscore UK. You can listen on all music and podcast platforms and please like or subscribe to check out future episodes. And don't forget to follow at Hustle Up Podcast on Instagram to be kept up to date.